Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. There's a major changing of the guard in an organisation that so often seems to arouse great passions for and against the Australian Christian lobby. It's been in existence now for 18 years. Its catch cry is a voice for values, its vision to see the ethics and principles of a Christian worldview influence the way Australians are governed, they do business and do community. It's never far away from controversy, though, and the man out in front of it all these past 13 years is Jim Wallace. With some of the battles he's had to fight as the managing director of ACL, he's needed all the resilience of his former life as an Army SAS commander. Jim's now stepping down from the top job to make way for his chief of staff and chosen successor, Lyle Shelton. And both Jim and Lyle are joining us now on Open House. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Lee. Thanks a lot, Lee. Good to see you. Jim, when you look back when you started this job 13 years ago, what would you say were some of the surprises, some of the things you had to learn perhaps that you weren't expecting? Mm. Well, uh, it was for me, of course, a a completely different environment because uh, I came from the apolitical world of the military and uh, I was entering into a world where I was actually aiming to influence uh, the political world. So uh, from that point of view, it was different. But, uh, you know, people are the same. And, and I think that the whole thing has revolved around relationship. And so it was, as it ever was in a military career, it was about relationships. One thing that surprised you about this kind of role as opposed to your past Well, life. I'd have to say that uh, in a military environment, uh, everybody's there, uh, all uh, with a singular purpose and uh, all committed, uh, not just to the purpose, but also to the people who are leading them. And uh, I'd have to say, those who work in politics, that isn't the case. So you're very aware that uh, that, that ambition drives a lot of people. And uh, while I have huge respect for politicians, I, I mean, we really undervalue them and we don't realise just how much we demand of them. Uh, nonetheless, it is an environment driven by ego and ambition to a large degree. It's a lot more messy than life in the military, I expect. Well, it is. And, and although people go into politics, of course, I think as motivated as uh, people go into the military for the good of the country, the environment is that the nature of politics uh, simply doesn't allow them to express that as easily as uh, you can and you can values in the military. Today, 13 years on, do you think Australian society, public life, the public square is more or less Christian? Mm. Oh, I think, think you'd have to say it's uh, less Christian, you know, and that's uh, a great shame. I think we've stepped back as much as the Western world has uh, from uh, our Christian heritage and uh, from, unfortunately, from Christian values as well. And we see the consequences of that uh, in, uh, for instance, just the growth of number of children who are in out-of-home care. Th- these children are the victims of broken families, and it's because, among other things, we place a lot less value on families and over central to uh, the Christian model uh, on families and the responsibilities of motherhood and fatherhood than we have in the past. So if people are walking away from that Christian heritage, people are voting with their feet, why should that faith play much of a part at all in our national life today? Yeah, well, because we we live in a democracy for a start, you know, and uh, every part of that democracy has the right to bring uh, their views into the public uh, discourse. And uh, I think that a large part of why we're in this situation is because the church hasn't done that over time. And uh, the church, and to me, and I'm saying by the church, you know, including their individual Christians, uh, have to do that uh, and, and have to become more reinvigorated. Have they that. been scared off? 
Oh, yes, I think particularly more recently that uh, people have been scared off. There's a lot of vitriol out there which is directed as a, a tool uh, of politics these days and a tool of um, campaigning by various groups. And uh, I think that's, again, a great shame because it reduces the civility of the public discourse. I think our democracy relies on civility. Is it enough to hark back to our nation's past when the Christian ethic was more a formative part of our national life? Do we need a new type of discussion then for a new era? Well, I, I, I agree with you that I don't think we can hark back. I, I think uh, we often romanticise what the past has been like, whereas the reality is that throughout history, uh, we've seen uh, Christianity come under threat. Uh, we've seen Christians persecuted in the West as well over history uh, at different times in our history. You know, And we sometimes romanticise and go back and say, oh, it was all much better in the years gone by. I don't know that it has been particularly. There have been points at which it's been better. But if you look over the whole of history since the days of Christ, uh, I think you can't say that. You know, So we certainly shouldn't romanticise on the past, um, but we should remain as committed as ever to uh, try to bring Christ into the culture and, uh, for that reason, into politics and uh, the public policy domain. Jim, you said before that we undervalue our politicians. Mm. Why do you think we undervalue them? And what would you like to say to people mm. about them? Mm. Well, I, I think, uh, first of all, if I answer the last part first and say that I would like to say to people that if we undervalue people, you know, if we demean people, I remember John Anderson once said to me, you know, he said, uh, uh, and, and not knowing that I actually told uh, political jokes at the time. He's the former Deputy <laughs> Prime Minister. <laughs> That's right. Yes. He, he once said to me, you know, we can't tell political jokes about uh, well, about politicians because he said what we're doing is we're demeaning them, you know. He said what we've got to do is we've got to honour them. And I've never told a political joke since, you know, in, in opening up a presentation uh, because I believe that's very true, you know. I think it's the same with police forces. I worked in the counter-terrorist area with police forces, you know, and I saw people who go into the police force very committed, you know, to uh, public order and uh, to the service of the, of the community. But if we always treat them as them, <laughs> then very soon they become them. And, and I think we shouldn't be surprised at, for instance, you know, what is a relatively high rate of corruption sometimes in police forces exposed from time to time, uh, because if, if we, the public, reject our police forces, then, of course, they look to other people for friendship. You know? In politics, though, a fair bit of the time, it's not very admirable. Mm. And it's easy to demean the people who are yeah. not very admirable. No, that's right. That's right. But I, I would say that uh, it's not very admirable because the environment is not an admirable environment. The environment that we allow to operate in there and does operate, you know, is one that uh, doesn't uh, hold up integrity necessarily. And uh, I think what we've got to do is we've got to, all of us, you know, use our influence to try to improve the environment that's in there. And if we do that, people who go in there with a good motivation will stay well motivated and retain those values uh, a lot better, I think. In the corridors of power, do you mm. think you get a better hearing from Labor or Conservative? Oh, look, I, I think we've uh, found that uh, there are good people on both sides of politics. And we've certainly believed that uh, in the Australian Christian lobby that we mustn't emulate uh, the American example where politics tends to line up 
on one side of politics because uh, that that's to say that Christ is a, a card-carrying <laughs> member of one or other of the parties, which he's not, you know. Yeah. And also we believe that we've got to, as Christians, be looking to influence government, you know, to make sure that government's values are higher, that uh, the concerns of government are more admirable. And so uh, it's very important, therefore, that we approach both. And I've found good people in both sides of politics. There are lots of lobbyist voices applying lots of different pressures to governments. Are there ways in which you think you're different in any way from those groups? Or are you just one of those voices targeting the pressure points? Yeah, no, I think we are different. And uh, certainly one of the biggest ways we're different is that we don't have the huge uh, recourse to funds that uh, these other groups have, you know. And uh, so we have worked primarily on relationship and the force of our arguments and uh, on the values that underpin those arguments. Um, And uh, for that reason, and also obviously, you know, we trust in Christ for results. And uh, if we didn't do that, then we would be going in there and becoming just another group carrying our ego or agenda of itself into the parliament. Now, for a Christian lobby, we believe that'd be totally wrong. Uh, we've got to do our best to project Christ into various debates, you know, right from poverty and uh, social justice issues right through to ju- issues of righteousness. And then in the end, though, we've got to trust Christ for results because if we don't, you know, we become no different than everyone else in, in there. Without wanting to be incestuous about this, how do you rate the media's role in all this and your relationship with the media? Because it's often been very difficult and very fraught. Mm. Well, it's interesting, uh, Lee, that uh, our relationship with the media has always uh, been very good until this gay marriage issue of the last uh, sort of year in particular. And, uh, you know, I must say that from my point of view, the, uh, the media has been... Uh, conned. It's captured the the uh, propaganda of the other side. I think there's very little critical analysis of the claims of uh, the gay activists, and uh, there's an assumption that when they call everybody haters or bigots, you know, that uh, they necessarily are <laughs> because they've been called it by what, who are essentially their their opponents in uh, this particular public policy issue. And so uh, I'm very disappointed in the media from that point of view. I think the media has to step back. It has to um, critically analyse the arguments and the claims uh, that are made into public policy, and they're not just on this issue but on all issues. So, Lyle, into this lion's den you step. From a background in journalism, will that give you a leading edge in these kind of arguments and debates, do you think? Yes, yeah, certainly, Lee. I think that's uh, most helpful. I spent six and a half years working in journalism um, in the early part of my career. Uh, in fact, as, as part of that, uh, I was uh, sent to Canberra for a six-week stint um, filling in for a colleague in the press gallery, and that gave me a real insight into how lobby groups um, put pressure on, on uh, politics and how they interact with government. And I remember thinking at the time as a young journalist, this was in the mid-'90s, uh, where's the Christian voice in this place? And I knew that uh, the Christian church in Australia represented far more people than many of these groups that were having a voice and a say right to the heart of power. And this was uh, before Jim Wallace came on the scene. And I remember thinking as a young man, we've got to change this. And uh, I'm so glad that uh, something has been done to address it. From within the organisation, how have you viewed the tone, say, of the debate over this last year? Yeah, it's been very uh, sad to see uh, the polarisation in the debate. Um, It's been sad to see the misrepresentation of people of goodwill, whether they be Christian or or others who have a perspective on the marriage debate, uh, to see that misrepresented so often and, and as Jim said, not critically analysed. That's uh, been enormously frustrating to me and all of the other staff who work in ACL uh, when you just see uh, one-way traffic on this issue without proper balance. It's always 
easy and instinctive and understandable to blame the other side. Are there ways in which you need to look at how you engage with this debate yourselves? Oh, I think so. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't say that we always get it right, uh, but it is difficult when you're in a in a um, tough political debate and particularly in the lead up to the vote, you know, uh, last September, which which was one, two to two to one on our side. Um, things got pretty pretty feisty, I suppose, uh, as the stakes were high on both sides. But I think as Christians and as the ACL, we always try and um, and, and uh, play the issue, never the man. I've run into the um, the gay lobbyists up in the parliament, in the in the staff uh, dining room, uh, chatted to them. You know, we've interacted on a friendship basis, uh, which which I believe and, and take as face values to be genuine. So, but I think the way we communicate publicly, you know, we've always got to try and do that with compassion. As you know, Lee, that's not always easy to do in a, in a quick soundbite or, or in a little grab in a, in a newspaper article when the, the journalist is looking for a one-paragraph uh, comment. So you don't always get the context, and people don't always see the context in which we say things, And uh, but that's just the media environment. I've heard mature, sensible people in the Christian community who don't want this issue lost. They acknowledge, though, that this will be an issue that you will lose and that you need to get ready for the conversation that then follows and how you respond. I don't think anything in politics is is inevitable. Um, someone in Washington D.C. once said to me that there's no political decision that uh, that is not irreversible. And this was someone who was a long time political operative, a White House staffer, a former White House staffer. So uh, I think that's very true of, of politics. Even if this is lost, and I don't I don't think it is. Even if it is, um, I think it's only a matter of time before uh, the consequences and, and perhaps some of the adverse social outcomes that might come of bad public policy will be revisited. I mean, we see this with the stolen generation, with the apology to uh, the uh, victims of forced adoption, where you know public policy motivated in the best interest. Uh, then we realise, you know, perhaps a generation or two down the track that uh, we'd made a mistake and, and we reversed that. But uh, having said that, I, I think the debate is far from over, and I think people are starting to see that there are consequences to this, and um, I, I think a bit more light shone on it. Um, people would, would come around. You mentioned the White House. President Obama has nailed his not insubstantial colours to the mass supporting same-sex marriage this past week. France legalised it the week before it was New Zealand. The dominoes are falling. There's no doubt it's uh, a difficult international environment, but uh, only 13 countries out of 160 or however many countries are, are in the globe. So I think it's far from lost, and I think people are... Uh, I think the more this debate is had, the more people will realise what is at stake. And uh, I think if we can have a mature debate, I don't think anything's inevitable. Jim, what would you say about where it stands now and where it's heading? No, I agree. I, I think that uh, I agree with Lyle, and that is that uh, nothing is inevitable. You know, it's only inevitable if we all give up. I mean, I come from an environment of the battlefield, you know, and uh, you only lose a battlefield when everyone, or a battle when everyone decides it's lost. Yeah. <laughs> it's all based on morale, you know, what's inside people. And so I don't think this is lost at all. I think for the very reasons that at the moment we see lining up behind this thing immediately, polyamory, you know, and polygamy as, as legitimate claims on marriage if you redefine marriage in this way. You know, marriage is biologically one thing, is between a man and a woman. If you redefine it, then you can't deny those claims, polygamy and uh, polyamory, uh, to consider themselves marriage or be uh, attributed marriage. And so, uh, you know, those things alone, notwithstanding the, the huge implications for religious freedom, we're seeing in the United Kingdom where with this bill only just through the uh, uh, the lower house at a second reading, that already advocates are uh, saying that they're going to take this bill 
which protects freedom of religion, protects churches from having conduct uh, ceremonies, they're going to take this bill to the European Court of Human Rights because they believe that that uh, allows the church to discriminate against them. So there are consequences to this thing. And uh, I think, as Lyle has said, that people will realise those consequences. Hopefully in Australia, having realised them, we'll make sure that we don't uh, make ourselves vulnerable to them by passing the law. Lyle, can I ask you this question? Is there a need to broaden the conversation beyond issues of morality, issues concerning sex, to maybe issues of social justice, of poverty, greed, exploitation, issues for which ACL in the public square is not that well known, but issues still very much at the heart of Jesus. Oh, absolutely, Lee. And uh, I've been with ACL almost six years now, and uh, we've always worked on these wider issues. We've been uh, prominent uh, in the uh, debate about the Millennium Development Goals, increasing our overseas aid, uh, homelessness. Uh, I'm a member of uh, Reverend Tim Costello's Interchurch Gambling Task Force. We do a lot of work as an organisation on a broad suite of issues. But uh, I think it is a mistake to say that issues um, that surround marriage and family are not social justice issues. As Jim said earlier, you know, the amount of kids in out-of-home care as a result of uh, family breakdown. I mean, our child protection services around Australia can't cope. So social justice is tied up with this debate around marriage and family, as well as these important issues around poverty and justice. So it's not an either-or. What do you think Jesus would make of our public square, our public conversation and the way Christian faith, from where it started, is represented today? Yeah, I think uh, it's always difficult to speak for Jesus, uh, but (laughs) uh, I I think uh, he would be concerned about the lack of grace in the public discourse, and uh, I think that's something uh, which we can all work on, even even as Christians who speak into that space. Jim, how would you answer yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think it's a good question, and I'd say that you probably wouldn't be surprised by it. You know, If we think that uh, we believe uh, by tradition that uh, all the apostles were stoned to death or, or died at the hands of their accusers, uh, we've seen the persecution of Christians throughout uh, history. You know, As they've stood up for things like slavery, uh, they've stood up on issues like equal rights in America, as Martin Luther King did. Uh, it shouldn't surprise us you know, that this is the environment. Uh, but we, we live a life of hope in Christ, you know, and we live a life of individual joy in Christ, and we should continue to try to bring that into the public square. Jim, what's ahead for you as you bow out of this? Yes, well, I'm bowing out of the uh, managing director's job, but uh, we've become increasingly aware that uh, it's very important in this global world to be internationally connected and to be able to leverage off each other in that regard. There are a lot of international issues. There's very few domestic issues that haven't got an international context, and uh, I think we've got to get more involved in that, and certainly that'll be my purpose for the next couple of years. Lyle, how are these big shoes feeling on your feet as you step into them? Well, it's very daunting, Lee, because uh, I don't have a military background apart from uh, six months in the Air Force cadets. Uh, but Jim tells me that doesn't count. Uh, Especially but, uh, Air Force. <laughs> but uh, no, they are daunt- they are big shoes to fill. Um, yes. But I guess I've been privileged to work under Jim's leadership for the last six years. Uh, he's a terrific mentor and I'm sure will continue to be that uh, to me and I, I look forward to that. Uh, but uh, Jim's built up a, a great team. Um, it's not just uh, obviously mm. myself. Um, we, we have tremendous people in the organisation. Uh, Nick Overton, uh, who is coming in to fill my job, uh, has been with ACL in one way or another for probably 10 or more years. Uh, so he's, he's coming into the national office uh, as chief of staff. Uh, so we've, we've got a great team in place, and I feel very confident about the future. There's a big job ahead still, yes. and I think uh, our role is very much needed. Jim Wallace, Lyle Shelton, thank you so much for joining us on Open House. Thank you, Lee. Thanks a lot, Lee. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.